0: I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 100. Woohoo! And I want to do something fun for this big milestone. Seriously, 100 episodes. Thank you so much to all of you who've been with me from the beginning and a big warm welcome to those of you who are newer to the show. I can't wait to see where the next 100 episodes takes us. I've got a list of about 50 shows already and it seems like every week I add more to that. So this is exciting. Anyway, for this show I want to do something fun which is to look at how the tutors have influenced our lives today and how in many ways, they're still around with us. I'm calling it the tutors. They're just like us, you know, because they do that thing in Us Weekly, where it's like stars, they're just like us. And it shows like famous people paying their parking meter, (laughs) or getting jamba juice or something like that. So that's what I'm doing with this. We will look at cultural aspects like music and language, as well as government, technology and religion. But first, admin, I need to thank my patrons who keep this show independent. I have amazing patrons. Thank you to Elizabeth, Kathy, Cynthia, Jurgen, also Sarah, Megan, Melissa, Lady Anne, Jessica, Diane, Olivia, Al, Ashley, Kendra, Cynthia, Judith, Katie, Mara, Emily, Selene, Laura, Ian, Barbara, Shar, Kiva, Amy, Allison, Joanne, Kathy, Christine, Anetta. Susan, Andrea, Catherine, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, Shandor, Philip, and John. Thank you so much, you guys. If you want to be part of this group of very intelligent people with exceptional taste, please go to patreon.com slash Englandcast to sign up. I also need to mention the Agora podcast of the month for March, which is American Biography by Tom. American Biography is a podcast that looks at American history by following the course of human events and examining the lives of important, if less discussed, Americans who have exerted great influence on the nation's development. It is the story of America told through Americans' stories. Check it out on your podcatcher of choice. One final thing, if you like treats and who doesn't really... I invite you to check out the Treasures from Best subscription box that I've recently launched. It's a monthly box filled with Tudor themed treats, books, jewelry, special spa-like things, all inspired by Tudor history. $39.99 a month includes free shipping to the continental US. Check out treasuresfrombest.com for more information to see sample boxes and learn more. And yes, it is named after Bess of Hardwick. She is my history crush. I love her. So let's hop in now, shall we? I want to start with music because as we all know, it's the particular aspect of Tudor about which I am the most passionate. In an episode a few years ago, I interviewed Dr. David Skinner, a noted musicologist, and he talked about the big shift in music in the 16th century, which was the change to having liturgical music in English rather than Latin. This not only made it possible for the masses to understand the music and make it more accessible, but it also opened the door for composers to play with the lyrics of their music. So you start to see word painting and madrigals. Like this one by Thomas Wilkes, as Vasta was from Latmus Hill descending. Take a listen and pay particular attention to what the notes do during the lyrics descending and ascending. This technique is still used in popular music today. Listen to this chorus of Justin Timberlake's What Goes Around. See what he does there? Also listen to Rufus Wainwright's Vibrate, where he talks about his phone being on Vibrate. My are Catch that? See, this word painting, popularized by the Tudors, made possible with this newfound freedom to write music in English is still with us today. Now I want to talk about food. I did an episode on food a few months ago, which was pretty popular, and it had people thinking about what kinds of foods the tutors ate. Much of their dining experience was very different to ours, especially at court with set courses and a lot of meat and few vegetables. But there would have been some foods that we recognized and even utensils that were becoming more familiar. So forks come to us in Europe through Italy. The theory is that it's easier to eat pasta with a fork than a knife or a spoon. In the 1560s, Catherine de' Medici, Queen of France, brought the fork into wider use there, but in the Tudor era, until the very late Tudor period, it was still seen as a very suspicious eating utensil. The travel writer Thomas Corriette talked about forks for the first time in England when, in 1608, he went on a trip through France, Italy, Switzerland, and Holland. So in 1611, his travel memoir was published, and he wrote, I observed a custom in all those Italian cities and towns through which I passed that is not used in any other country that I saw in my travels. Neither do I think that any other nation of Christendom doth use it, but only in Italy. The Italians do always use at their meals a little fork when they cut their meat. For a while with their knife, which they hold in one hand, they cut the meat out of the dish. They fasten their fork, which they hold in their other hand upon the same dish, so that whatsoever he be that, sitting in the company of others at meal, should unadvisedly touch the dish of meat with his fingers, from which all the table do cut, he will give occasion of offense to. The company as having transgressed the laws of good manners, insomuch that for his error he shall be, at the least, browbeaten if not reprehended in his words. This form of feeding, I understand, is generally used in all places of Italy, their forks being for the most part made of iron or steel and some of silver, but those are used only by gentlemen. The reason of this their curiosity is because the Italian cannot by any means endure to have his food, his dish, touched with fingers, seeing that all men's fingers are not alike clean. Hereupon I myself thought good to imitate the Italian fashion by, this forked cutting of meat, not only while I was in Italy, but also in Germany and oftentimes in England since I came home. So there we have it forks coming to England just after the Tudor period. But what about foods? What foods do we still eat that the Tudors had? One is a staple in our household, we're largely vegan, and that's almond milk. The Tudors didn't drink it so much, but they used it as a base for creams. Speaking of creams, the famous Elizabethan snow was the forefather of our ice cream, was made with literal snow mixed with flavorings and dairy to make a cold and creamy dessert. In the episode that I did on food, I talked about early refrigeration practices and the way that the Tudors would have been able to make ice. So check that out if you're interested in how they could have made snow pre-electricity. So now let's talk about government. Of course, Henry changed the role of parliament and kingship forever when he broke from the church in Rome and took powers that had been reserved for the clergy for himself. This is also linked, of course, to religion. England still has a state church, the Church of England, which was founded by Henry VIII. When we worship in an Anglican or in the US an Episcopalian church, we are using a liturgy largely developed by Thomas Cranmer. The Church of England was such a dominant force that until the mid-19th century, Catholics could not even sit in Parliament. Something else that we use all the time, the post office was founded by Henry VIII. The Royal Mail, called the King's Post, was the first official government post office. It was created by Sir Brian Tuke and commanded all towns to have a fresh horse available for anyone carrying mail from the Tudor court. This Royal Mail system then became available to the general public to use in 1635 by Charles I. That was the start of the postal system that we use all over the world today. So thank you, Henry VIII, for the post office. The whole sun never sets on the British Empire bit started in the Tudor period when Henry VII began building the first dry dock and then Henry VIII built up the navy with his flagships like the Mary Rose and the Henri Grosadieu. Elizabeth would take this to a whole other level, taking the fight against Spain to the seas and wreaking havoc on Spanish trading routes with the New World taking much Spanish gold in the process. Of course, it all came to a head with the defeat of the Spanish Armada and English naval superiority would remain unquestioned until the late 19th, early 20th century. linked closely to exploration. So when we drink our morning coffee or enjoy some evening chamomile tea, we can directly thank the Tudor explorers who brought those foreign goods to England. Of course, the first coffee shop didn't open in London until the 1650s and 60s, so it's not quite Tudor, but the foundations for coffee and tea were certainly set in the Tudor period. One product that was definitely Tudor and is still with us, unfortunately, for, for our lungs is tobacco. The early tobacco plantations in the New World made not only lung cancer possible, but also drove the, tra- the slave trade that would remain active in the US until we fought a civil war to figure it all out. One early explorer, John Hawkins, visited Florida in 1565 and wrote, The Floridians have a kind of dried herb that they smoke. They say the smoke satisfies their hunger and that they can live for four or five days without meat or drink. Hawkins also has the unfortunate distinction of being the first Englishman to engage in the African slave trade, capturing slaves from Sierra Leone and selling them to the Spanish in the Caribbean. Early on, tobacco was viewed with suspicion, but Walter Raleigh changed that. In 1586, some of the colonists from Roanoke Island came back with Raleigh. They brought with them potatoes and tobacco. Interestingly, people thought that the potatoes were not healthy, but the tobacco was. The Spaniard Nicholas Menardes had written a report about tobacco, and it was translated into English by John Frampton in 1577. It was called Of the Tobacco and of His Great Virtues, which says that smoking is good to relieve toothache, falling fingernails, worms, halitosis, lockjaw, and ironically, even cancer. Raleigh soon became addicted to smoking, he even tempted Elizabeth to smoke, and soon it became a craze. In 1614, according to George Louis Beer's survey of the early history of tobacco, there was said to be in London alone some 7,000 shops that were selling tobacco. Beer quotes the autobiography of Lord Herbert of Cherbury, an advocate of tobacco, that tobacco shops were kept in towns everywhere, no less than tap houses and taverns. A German visitor, Paul Hensner, visited London in 1598, and he wrote of plays and bear baiting that at these spectacles and everywhere else, the English are constantly smoking the nicotine weed, which is in America called tobacco. James I was strongly opposed to smoking, and he anonymously published a treatise against it, which was called A Counterblast to Tobacco, and he questioned Why should we imitate the barbarous and beastly manners of the wild and godless Indians? Why do we not as well imitate them in walking naked as they do? Why do we not deny God and adore the devil as they do? smoking is hateful to the nose, harmful to the brain, and dangerous to the lungs. He increased the tax on tobacco and tried to encourage the American colonists to stop growing it. But all of that was unsuccessful, and tobacco use grew and grew and continues to this day. Let's talk about language now, shall we? Of course, with Shakespeare, we see a flowering of the English language. But even before we get to that, the theatre itself set the stage for our modern TV and movie dramas. Today's comedians, of course, have their roots in Court Fools, but they really began to take off in Shakespeare's plays, as did the stereotypical villain who is still with us in some way or another in any kind of drama, from movies to The Bachelor. So Shakespeare is commonly credited with inventing 1,700 of our most common words. Words that we use every day like discontent, elbow, summit, moonbeam, and frugal come from Shakespeare. Also blanket, circumstantial, gossip, impede, and radiance. If we took all of the words that Shakespeare invented away from our language, it would be bleak and dreary indeed. Some everyday things that we use today were surprisingly invented during the Tudor period, including flushing toilets. Okay, so to be fair, even the Greeks had some form of flushing toilet, but Sir John Harrington invented the cistern in 1596. He installed his new toilet in his own mansion, and then he also presented one each to Queen Elizabeth and to Robert Cecil. But the idea never really gained popularity, because Harrington's toilet only did half the job, the waste dropped into a pit, which still had to be cleaned out. Not cool. It wasn't until the late Victorian times, after Thomas Crapper, I'm not kidding, that was his name, won a royal appointment to install flushing toilets at Sandringham, that the modern style toilets that flushed into efficient drains became common. Another gift that Elizabeth received that was a new invention was a wrist clock, what we would call a wristwatch. The earliest one dates to 1500. Also, the modern game of tennis comes to us from the Tudor period. It had originally been played in France, but it quickly migrated to England, where it was played using kitchen sieves. And that's where the design for the modern rackets comes from. So I hope you enjoyed this little trip back in time with me today and have enjoyed learning about the different ways that the Tudors still influence us today. The book recommendation is Everyday Life in Tudor London, Life in the City of Thomas Cromwell, William Shakespeare, and Anne Boleyn by Stephen Porter. You can get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016 Tesco or through Twitter at Tesco or Facebook.com slash Englandcast. Thank you so much for making it possible for me to do a 100 episodes and for being with me on this journey. I'll be back in about two weeks with another Tudor Times Person of the Month. And then I'm going to sh- do a show about tutor tutors, that is the teachers who taught the young tutors and also look at Edward VI's diary, which is the first diary that we have from a monarch like that. Show notes are at englandcast.com. And don't forget to tre- check out treasuresfrombest.com for your tutor treat fix. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.